Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. Today on the Indo Daily, from Barn of Ballsbridge to bankruptcy, the Celtic Tiger tale of Sean Dunn and Gail Killalay. During the Celtic Tiger era, Ireland had its own special kind of celebrity, the property developer. One of the best-known and hugely successful billionaire builders was Sean Dunn, who, along with his then second wife and social diarist Gail Killalay, appeared to have it all. They didn't hide the fact that they were swimming in money. They had this very expensive new-build mansion in Shrewsbury Road, which is Dublin's most expensive address. Marble tiles, oak uh, banisters, a jacuzzi in the bedroom, that kind of thing. But boom would soon turn to bust. Developer Sean Dunn has been adjudicated a bankrupt by the High Court. Three-judge Supreme Court today rejected claims by the now US-based developer that his 2013 adjudication of bankruptcy by the Irish High Court cannot stand on grounds, including his having previously been deemed bankrupt by an American court. Sean Dunn waived his right to walk away from his 700 million euro of debts. Now his creditors will be able to stake a claim to his future earnings. Now the pair are back in the headlines with lawyers acting for Dunn's US bankruptcy trustee wanting to be paid for monitoring his ex-wife's Twitter account. Yet another twist in a decade-long case with legal fees in the millions. I'm Fiona Sheen and today I'm joined by the Irish Independence Deputy Business Editor John Isle to look back at their rise and fall. John... The names of Sean Dunn and Gail Killey tend to turn up in court reports uh, these days and so on. But let's go back. Who are these people? Well, they may be appearing in a lot of court reports now, but that has to do with what was going on 20 years ago in Ireland, which was, as we all know, the Celtic Tiger. A massive economic boom, but also a massive boom in the value of properties and the rise of very powerful and rich property developers. Sean Don was one of those guys and Gail Killalay was his wife. Uh, the two of them were really, let's say, the epitome of the Celtic Tiger. They symbolized everything about the era, the sort of flashy appearance, the uh, opulent houses, and then the very expensive 
property development sites. In Sean Dunn's case, um, he spent 275 million euros acquiring the jury's hotel site in Ballsbridge to build his version of London's Knightbridge, Knightsbridge. Uh, in uh, just outside the city centre in, in Dublin, he had this grand vision for a 37-storey uh, ho- uh, hotel and apartment complex with luxury shops and 10 million euro penthouses. He was a real dreamer of the era and in retrospect looks ridiculous, but it's important to realize, I think, just how consistent that sort of behavior, that sort of lifestyle, that sort of ambition was for the beginning of this century. Gail Killalay herself was someone who grew up in Kalini in a fairly uh, well-to-do family with Deep political connections. Uh, she was a family friend of Bertie Ahern, for instance. She went to private school in uh, in, in Kalini, went on to study uh, journalism uh, at DCU, where she was a classmate of uh, Claire Byrne, who's now on RTE, and then was a sort of social diarist, gossip columnist for the Sunday Independent and Ireland on Sunday. And by all accounts, was a diligent worker, uh, a serious journalist, uh, you know, who had professional respect. But eventually met uh, Sean Dunn. Uh, the story goes it was at the Galway races, this sort of quintessential place for the uh, rich, powerful, and famous to meet each other uh, back in 2002. Um, he had broken up with uh, his uh, flight attendant uh, girlfriend at the time and went off, uh, developed a relationship with Ms. Killalay that uh, eventually led to marriage, uh, three children, and uh, Really a, quite an enviable lifestyle in many ways. Uh, houses in Shrewsbury Road, uh, trips on yachts, um, you know, vacations in Thailand, all that kind of thing. But it all came crashing down with the property crash later on. There's a there's a couple of stories, I suppose, that that stand out um, that that kind of illustrated the, the the lifestyle and I suppose the image in in ways that they were put forward. There, there would be kind of lavish parties thrown with, with themes around them. Absolutely. Um, Sean Dunn himself came from a you know fairly modest background. He, he was uh, born in Tello, County Carlow, um, grew up, uh, became a builder, you know, built council houses and so forth. But that was a far cry from where he wound up. Uh, there was a story, I think, of a Pirates of Caribbean uh, sort of party that they had where people had to come as characters, you know, from, from that story. Uh, they had this very expensive new-build mansion in Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury Road, which is Dublin's most expensive address. Um, you know, marble tiles, oak uh, banisters, a jacuzzi in the bedroom, that kind of thing. And they did like to entertain. The story of their wedding is that they went on a 14-day cruise on a, 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 on a yacht, which I, I believe had been owned by Jackie Kennedy. Originally built to hunt down German U-boats and to protect convoys during the Second World War, it was bought in 1954 by the Greek shipping magnate Aristotle Onassis and converted into the largest and most beautiful private yacht of its time. And brought Ireland's rich and famous with them, uh, people like Michael Fingleton, who was the chief executive of Irish Nationwide, the Building Society. Gate Theatre impresario Michael Colgan was on that trip and many, many others off, uh, you know, to sail the seas and, and celebrate their marriage. They didn't hide the fact that they were swimming in money. Uh, and and for that reason, I think, uh, when the crash finally came, uh, they really symbolized the downfall of the Celtic Tiger more than many of the other developers who, let's say, went through the humiliations of NAMA and then maybe have started to make comebacks and, uh, you know, have gone on to different things. Yeah, there was, there was a couple of buildings as well, I suppose, that, that 
that uh, that really epitomised uh, that that wealth. Uh, Walford on Shrewsbury Road, it it became the most expensive house in Ireland, a record that probably still stands now. That's right. This was a house that was sold in two thousand and five for fifty eight million euros, which is just an extraordinary sum. Now it wasn't. Um, an especially nice mansion. I believe it was seven bedrooms, but it was on two acres. And I can remember at the time when that transaction went through, people were trying to puzzle out why it went for such a high price. Now, obviously, property prices were out of control at the time. We know that now. But there was also some talk of there was a sort of access route through the property to a larger piece of land behind it and that it might have been a play for a larger kind of a development opportunity. Um, But you know, whatever it was, whatever was going to happen with that very expensive uh, piece of property never did happen because the road ran out for all the property developers before anything could be done with that. But I remember also at the time calculating the stamp duty alone on that property transaction, which I believe was something like 10% at the time of the of the price, would have covered the income tax for 10,000 people on the average industrial wage in 2005. So like just – that gives you a sense of the scale of how much money was being thrown around and how important these property developers also were to the exchequer, which is something that often gets forgotten in the history of the Celtic Tiger. Yeah, and, and at the time, of course, we, we've, we've subsequently had the economic argument that, that we never want to find ourselves in a situation where we are utterly dependent upon one particular sector. <laughs> and here we are 20 years later, we're entirely <laughs> dependent upon the US tech and pharma sectors. But anyway, that's an argument for another, another day. Also, now, it's important to bear in mind that we talk about our housing crisis at the moment and ramping up the amount of houses that, that we are building and, and homes and, and uh, apartments and duplexes and so on. There were three times as many houses being built at the peak of the of the Celtic Tiger building boom compared to now. So if you were a big developer, you were massively in, in, involved there. You, you referenced... Uh, Sean Dunn's involvement in Balls Bridge. This is where the the nickname the Baron of Balls Bridge came from. The amount of money that he spent on the Jury's Hotel site, there's also an apocryphal tale there. Well, sure. I mean, the, the the legend goes that he was on holiday when the bidding for the site was happening and he was uh, uh, on a beach or beside a pool or something like that with the, with his wife enjoying themselves, uh, dealing with the bidding uh, via mobile phone uh, with his representatives. And as these things go, he was asked to make a, submit another bid and the bid had gotten into the you know stratospheric range of around 250 million. And so the range he was thinking of was uh, between 253 million or 275 million. So this 22 million euro range. And uh, instead of sort of figuring out the numbers in a duly diligent fashion, he turns to his wife and says, pick a number between 53 and 75. She picked 75. So he bid 275. It was the winning bid. Potential, possibly, it was. <laughs> possibly a little too rich uh, for the site, but I'm not sure when all was said and done, it would have made much of a difference uh, if it had been 253. But I think what that shows really is how that that is a huge amount of money in the difference. Really, I mean, you're talking almost 10 percent of the of the bid price. Uh, 22 million is money that uh, 99% of people never see in their entire working lives. And here it was, uh, you know, just the the object of a, a, a little entertainment between himself and his wife. And it didn't really matter to him. It just showed how easy it was for him to borrow money and, and how simple it was to just throw it away. So, uh, by the way, that 
that jury's Ballsbridge site is now empty. The hotel is still there. It's <laughs> empty. It's 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 covered off by by fencing, and and nothing has ever happened uh, to it since. The the crash came, and you know, uh, a bit like the tale of Icarus. You know, the the, the higher you soar, the harder you fall. So. Um, where did the did the did the Dunkillay golden couple find themselves uh, in the latter stages of the economic crash? Well, it took a few years for everything to unwind. Obviously, the bottom fell out of the market in 2007, 2008. And in reality, the value of properties like the jury site, um, you know, was cut in half or worse. Now, those numbers weren't realized until later. You'll remember NAMA was founded in 2009, and that's when we began to get sort of price discovery. But as these things unraveled and the value of these properties became apparent to everybody, that's when people like Sean Dunn had to start declaring bankruptcy. Unlike Jesus, I don't expect to rise again in three days, but certainly hope to make great strides within the next three years. The words of builder Sean Dunn in yesterday's Sunday Independent following the revelation that late on Good Friday, he applied for bankruptcy in the United States. In his petition, Mr Dunn, who says he considers his debt to the Irish state to be cleared, estimates that he owes between 500 million and a billion dollars. And it took him four years from... 2009, when we really hit the bottom, until he had to declare bankruptcy in 2013, which is when his creditors really started coming after him. And Ulster Bank was the largest one. And he was in to his creditors for the guts of a billion. I believe the the bankruptcy was initiated over over debts of 700 million euros. So it wasn't just the Balls Bridge side. It was lots of other developments that never got off the ground either. But in the meantime, he and his wife uh, had left Ireland. So things were looking pretty bad here, as as you'll recall, in 2009, 2010. And they headed off for Greenwich, Connecticut, which is the sort of uh, the domicile of loads of hedge fund uh, people of New York. That's the bedroom community for uh, New York's financial district. Lots of rich people there, a lot of big mansions. So exactly that type of milieu that maybe they had become accustomed to uh, here in the Celtic Tiger. Now, things weren't great over in uh, in the U.S. either at the time. It was in the midst of a very deep recession. They had their own uh, housing and property crisis too. But um, Sean Dunn got to work doing what he did best, which was sort of renovations, uh, finding undervalued properties, turning them around for a profit. Uh, and they developed their own business over in the States there, running it out of their uh, Connecticut home. Um, and were, I guess, trying to get on with their lives, but they had hundreds of millions in debts built well, up over here. Home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, dealing in millions in Connecticut maybe uh, doesn't get you out of the, the billions uh, back here in Dublin. So eventually they were forced into uh, into bankruptcy. And, uh, you know, that was the there's the commercial aspect of that. And it eventually uh, reached into their personal lives as well. This uh, new life they'd built for themselves in, in Connecticut after a previous move to to Switzerland and all the financial affairs that are that are going on back uh, in in Ireland, it it doesn't last for too long. So we're told that the, the marriage began to deteriorate. That Sean, as reported, said he gave his his wife hundred million for love, affection, uh, and and more. So the the marriage comes to an end, and and even within that, that's tied up financially as well in in terms of his bankruptcy and the filing for divorce there there are 
lines cutting across each other. You know, the couple is is divorced now, but uh, as this went through the courts, uh, it was kind of hard uh, for the bankruptcy trustees to get their hands on the money. And meanwhile, it has to be said, uh, the lawyers for all sides are taking huge amounts of fees, and and the lawyers for the creditors back here uh, in in Dublin, Ulster Bank especially, paid millions to chase them down. Right, so in a way, they were unlikely to get much back, but they were willing to pursue them to the ends of the earth. You know, so this happened over years. The divorce was adjudicated in UK courts. The bankruptcy, the personal bankruptcy was adjudicated in uh, American courts and the commercial bankruptcy was adjudicated in Irish courts. So, you know, these are all different jurisdictions and uh, chasing down assets in any of them or pursuing orders from one country to another is never simple. Yeah, Sean Dunn wrote an open letter in the Sunday Independent back in 2013 setting out his position. So here are some extracts which we have recorded by an actor. I had not planned on filing for bankruptcy. I did not see much point as I have no assets left to distribute among the banks I owe money to. Ulster Bank forced me into this position by applying to make me bankrupt in Ireland. Regrettably, I do not live in Ireland anymore. I was forced and indeed advised to take matters into my own hands in the USA. I had to hear about Ulster Bank's application through the media because Ulster Bank did not have the brains or courtesy to contact my Irish solicitor and tell him they wanted to take such proceedings. Of course, what's the point of Ulster Bank taking such proceedings unless they can turn it into a PR stunt? Some do find it ironic that those who paid their taxes, invested in the Irish economy and lost their shirts as a result are now pariahs. This conveys the message that if you invest and live in Ireland, you are a fool and will eventually be the subject of attack. There is also a bankruptcy trustee. What's a bankruptcy trustee? Who who exactly is that representing? It's representing uh, the creditors, right? So the bankruptcy trustee has to look after the estate, which has the assets and is trying to maximize the value uh, from available assets that are either in dispute or trying to be seized by creditors who are are owed money. And they basically represent... um, those interests. So they're not the interests of the person who is being put into bankruptcy necessarily. Sean Dunn obviously would probably like to keep, like to have kept all his money. (laughs) Uh, The bankruptcy trustee is responsible for making sure as much of the money is available to be distributed to creditors as possible. So if, you know, more assets come to light, it's not that uh, Gail Killalay or Sean Dunn is likely to receive something from them, but what happens is they will be distributed, uh, collected and distributed by the bankruptcy trustee to make sure that creditors are made as close to whole as possible. Meanwhile, as you point out, the lawyers' bills keep keep amassing uh, along the way. The, the latest we have heard is that this bankruptcy trustee, who is not does not represent Sean Dunn or Gail Killalay, they, they represent the... the, the the creditors, the people who are who are owed the money, their invoices include money for monitoring Gail Killalay's social media accounts. That's right. This is really intriguing, and and the the reason behind it um, hasn't exactly come to light. But you know the. Well, the first thing to say is they're asking for quite a lot of money to monitor those accounts. Um, And for people who do say social listening, uh, you know, as a profession, tend to get paid a lot less than lawyers who are looking at Twitter, I can tell you that. And I I hasten to add that I'm speculating. But typically, when you're looking at someone's social media, you're trying to figure out, you know, sort of what they're doing. 
uh, where they're doing it. Um, are there any, say, lifestyle clues that you know show how much they're spending and how much they might have available in, t- in terms of wealth? Um, and then maybe w- what they're saying about other people. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, things, things, uh, running to things, something like defamation, for instance, those are reasons that a lawyer might uh, monitor social media. It's not clear from any of the filings or any of the reporting on this exactly why, um, these lawyers are looking at Gail Killeley's, uh, Twitter, but it is very interesting that, you know, four years after the divorce was finalized, they're still keeping a close eye on the ex-wife of Sean Dunn, who is the person whose assets that the creditors were going after. Sean Dunn, still an attendee at at rugby games uh, at at the Aviva Stadium, uh, reported to have bumped into somebody there and and said he's going to spend the rest of his life in in the courts. Mm. Is that an accurate assessment? I mean, is it quite possible that somebody who is in his, his mid-60s is looking at a long time further to go through the courts? Uh, yeah, process, I mean, well, he's not a young given man. Given the amount of money that's involved here. Precisely. And, you know, he's not a young man anymore. I mean, I, you know, he's, I think he's, he's moved into his late 60s now. And uh, as we've seen uh, with, with NAMA, even with the best of will, these things can take a very long time to work out. And arriving at the value of... Uh, Say a piece of property and accounting for all assets in what was a vast empire is no small task, especially when the people involved maybe make it as difficult as possible uh, to do that. Now, there's another story, probably apocryphal, where uh, he was giving an interview, I think, to a New York Times reporter in 2009, and uh, they were in Donnie and Nesbitt's in Dublin's uh, Baggett Street, and Sean Dunn leaned down to pick up a penny and you know said uh, something like, "I'd never be too proud to pick up a penny," you know, referring to his humble origins. If there's any truth to that, I think uh, Sean Dunn is maybe somebody who kind of you know gambled and lost, but maybe isn't too sorry that he gambled, and he's just gonna kind of keep on keeping on. And my thanks to John Isle. The voiceover was by Donald Donovan, business editor with the Irish Independent. I'm Fiannan Sheen, and today's episode was produced by Tabitha Monaghan, researched by Neve McGovern and Siobhan McGuire, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips from RTE, ITV, and Independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow, and leave us a review. 